Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, Bratan? I'm doing pretty good today, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. That was a deep cut reference for probably, you know, as I'd like to try to make things, we like try to do this on the, on the podcast. We try to not necessarily make it something for everyone, but everything for someone. And sometimes <laughs> I like to try to throw, I'm not even going to explain why I, call, why I said that, because it'll mean something to somebody out there. Okay. Today, and actually, it probably alienated you a little bit. Which it did. We I felt a little today. alienated. I have to confess. <laughs> yeah. I'll explain it later. So today, so this is a listener request, uh, going back a while, actually, and multiple listeners, I think, to talk about alienation. And what's really interesting about this is that um, a lot of the people we talk about on this podcast uh, often, uh, especially Hegel and Lacan, have a notion of alienation. Um, and it's maybe not necessarily prominent or primary in the literature like the you know secondary literature that's out there on on these people but it's 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 in a lot of very important ideas and the way particularly hegel uh approaches it is very different from commonplace orthodox idea of 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 what alienation is which is very, which it just how i alienated you at the start of this is very very bad it's suffused right. with the negative kind of content right. and so what we're kind of going to do in this, not kind of, what we are going to do in this podcast today is to work with the idea of alienation and uh, thread it through the thought of, uh, to go in chronological order, um, Hegel, Marx, um, Sartre, and then Lacan. But we might talk about Lacan first. Um, right, am I right about this? Yeah. Being and nothing yeah. comes out before Seminar 11 is done? Correct. Is that... For sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, um and, you know, we've talked a, a little mini thread uh, through several different episodes in this podcast is this like um, this influence that Sartre has on Lacan, particularly the early Lacan. You know, he references him directly in the Mirror Stage essay. And um, I, I think he's I don't know. It's it's interesting that he, he doesn't have that many direct references, but I feel like he's there. Oh, in a I lot think of that's ideas. absolutely true. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think Sartre's influence on Lacan is immense. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, in both ways, like on the, in the one way that he's like shaping his thought. And then I think Lacan is also really feeling this pressure to distinguish himself from Sartre, like everybody yeah. did. I mean, Foucault yeah. is trying to do that. Derrida is trying to do that. Deleuze is trying to do that. So he's just part of that, even though he and Sartre were roughly the same age. In fact, mm-hmm. Lacan is actually older than Sartre. So that's sort of interesting. That's that's awesome, and it's well. I mean, I think a very clear example, right, is the um, the um, Lacan at at the beginning is very much into the um, the gaze as the there's always a gaze behind, right? And then and then what he does is, as we kind of talked about with Mari, is he puts the gaze behind in the picture, and he makes it like you cannot, you're not separable from that which you are looking at you are right. you know my, the picture's in my eye but i'm in the picture right. so he he moves he, he moves it not that there's something behind you and you don't see it but there's something in front of you and you don't see it right which is for like for Sartre being caught looking by the, and and so the rustling leaves behind mm-hmm. is the gaze really for Sartre, right, right. and so it it, mm-hmm. it, it is a, it's not totally you know joan has a great joan kopchak has a great essay in imagine there's no woman that really locates shows how really close Sartre is to Lacan. So I don't think it's mm. really that far because I mean, what it's far from is of course the Foucauldian notion of the, of right. the gaze. But I think, 
Although Henry Cripps has written an article against me saying that that's not true, that the Foucauldian gaze is just like Lacan's, but I suffice to say I don't agree with that. But um, mm-hmm. but I I I I would say that 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 it, that that they are kind of proximate. I think Jones right mm-hmm. about that. So it is. Mm-hmm. I think at times there's a big gap between them, but on a thing like the gaze or on alienation, I mm-hmm. think they're actually maybe not so far apart. So we'll get to that. So we'll get to that. Yeah. And it's great. And, and Sartre acts as like kind of this, um, this fulcrum figure because he, you know, becomes more. So we're going to talk about him more the being a nothingness Sartre and less the critique of dialectical reason Sartre, which as he comes up on this uh, podcast sometime, usually from me because of the uh, investment in seriality that he has uh, in that, um, in that book. Um, but earlier uh, he becomes more, he becomes more Marxist. So that's another, that's a, Right. Uh, right. Yeah. So that's another sure. little, little little touchstone. So, um, but let's start with um, let's start with Hegel because this is very much not an orthodox understanding or a very very commonplace. Who would want to be alienated? No one would. would that that seems terrible uh, to be to be alienated. But let's talk about it. What does Hegel have to say? Right. So Hegel uses two terms that Marx will take up, and and mm-hmm. we'll get to Marx, but the, so the, the the two terms are entäußerung, which means, it really means something like externalization, like mm-hmm. making oneself external, but Hegel translators tend to translate it as alienation or externalization, lesser. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other term is entfremdung, and that's usually translated as estrangement. And so the, the, the difference between, so entäußerung means like putting oneself out there. And mm-hmm. and it is true that both these terms and fremdung is a little more negative for Hegel, but they're both kind of positive terms. They're really because mm-hmm. he thinks that this ability to see oneself in the external world is really the basis of freedom. So so for Hegel, ironically, we think of alienation as the way of losing oneself. But for mm-hmm. Hegel, losing oneself means being free. So, so this externalization, seeing yourself in the external, feeling alienated, that's mm-hmm. actually for Hegel the moment of when you come to face to face with your freedom. So I think that's, a, I mean, he's really against, I, I think, the commonplace way of understanding alienation and the way that it gets appropriated first by Marx. And then I think Sartre and Lacan, it's not as clear, but it's still, there still is a somewhat negative connotation. But for Hegel, it's really a positive, like the loss is a, is a, is really a gain that's attached mm-hmm. to it. You know, that's really interesting. And I mean, if people are hearing in the, um, the Hegelian word choice, the, uh, Verfremdung's effect, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Of Bertolt's Brecht. Right. Yeah. But interestingly, yeah. so so Verfremdung's effect. So he, it's it, it, so Verfremdung means like making some, making it happen. Like the fair, mm-hmm. the 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 prefix ver fair means to be actively doing something. That's why he he doesn't say the Entfremdung's effect, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but what Brecht's and it's often translated as alienation effect. But what right. Brecht is getting at is making you alienated so that you recognize the alienation that you are always feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's the so it's not like so I think that's more of a Marxist negative sense of alienation, not the even though 
he's doing the alienation. Like he's, he's doing, think, yeah, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. like he thinks his plays are alienating you, but only so as to make you aware of the alienation that you're suffering under capitalist society so that you can rectify it. Right, that, right, right. No, right, and that is not true for Hegel, right? That is absolutely right. not true. So Hegel thinks the freedom is already in the alienation, right? Mm. So that's the, I think that's the real thing that separates Hegel from this subsequent uh, move in Marx, which we'll get it's, to, obviously. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fascinating. I mean, I think like the, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it in the sentence, but like the, uh, like the Brechtian thing is that like, it's a, it's like a positive thing to do to raise awareness of the negative. Whereas right. for like for Hegel, it's just that like there, well, actually, I mean, to, to put the word negative in there, like it is need, negative. You need, You're need, right. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. need this negativity, like, but it has like, um, I, I, again, it's a, it's a positive, uh, uh, um, connotation to it. Yeah, 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 uh, for sure. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's yeah. freeing. And I think, you know, it's interesting to try to think of examples, but I mean, the, the, isn't the easiest example to think of the moment when as a teenager, you become alienated from your parents, right? Like yeah, you yeah, no yeah, longer yeah. feel like I'm, I, when I'm with my parents, it feels awkward or I don't like one, mm-hmm. like that and and what does it correspond to you're becoming free from them right like mm-hmm, you're no mm-hmm. longer under their tutelage and i think so that would be i think that to me that's always been the easiest way to understand and it also ties to hegel's notion of bildung or, or education you know that free like he thinks education is alienating in a good way mm. like it's yeah. like like people that's people that say like i want to homeschool my kids so they don't have an alienating edu- education <laughs> hegel would he would he would be vomiting right like he'd say no yeah. like the whole point is to get them alienated from you right so that they can they can actually become a free subject so i think that that to me that's the best Example. I don't know if you think of other examples of that. No. The way alienation is freeing for him. No, it's pretty good. I um, I'm, I, I've been, no, I've been trying. As you were, as you were explaining that one, I was trying to come up with something. But I think that's great. I think it's a good one to to go with. Be, and I, I think the the important. I mean, the important point to to underline is that like this is just it's just very much. Uh, it's that's a it's a heterodox point. Right. It's I mean, very heterodox. It, Right. And I do think it probably comes from uh, I think it probably comes from Marx, who I think is probably OK to jump to right yeah. now, but not not to lose, not to lose Hegel. I, I just want to I want to give one other yeah. example, because I was oh, yeah, yeah. so oh, when I was good. younger, <laughs> I was utterly committed to the idea of of patriotism. Like I, I, I got okay. chills in my spine when I heard the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> it's repulsive. Um, <laughs> and, but And then. Something happened and I became alienated from the nation, right? Like I still Mm -hmm. am invested in the state as an apparatus, but I'm totally Mm -hmm. alienated from the nation. And so that that corresponded to me becoming free, right? Like that getting feeling connected to the nation is is a is a badge of your unfreedom, I think Hegel Mm -hmm. would say. And, and, And I think rightly. And so that that would just be one more example of the way in which you like like when you get if you see the American or whatever team, whatever national team, you know, someone from Europe once confessed to me they were here visiting and they confessed that when their national team uh, was successful in the World Cup, that they 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 were ashamed, but they felt chills in their spot, you know, like same thing. (laughs) And and what's interesting is I think that that's an index of of unfreedom. It's not. 
And because it's that you feel the connection, mm-hmm. but the connection, it's the only the, when you're alienated from the connection that you're free. So, so that, I think that is another one that kind of, you know, is a little more of an adult example, I guess, of, yeah, of that no. same I- idea. Well, it's just interesting to think of alienation as this radical break. Yeah. As and and it's rather than this thing that makes it impossible for you to think radical break, which I I think that's the I think that is the doxa. Yeah. Yeah, that's doxa. That's that's very that's this um that's very much uh the you know the 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 line the line that like does anyone know if it was Jameson or Zizek right some easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of uh, capitalism right like right. The, uh like that the i think part of that idea or at least in in the in the hands of some people when they talk about it is that like we are alienated by this you know economic system and to the point that we we cannot even imagine a, a, a better future. Right, right, right. I and, think that's the, and, yeah. Yeah. That's the commonplace. And, you know, so Hegel's idea is that, and I think if you're invested in alienation the way he is, then mm-hmm. you can't, you, your notion of what political activity is going to possibly lead to is going to be radically different than your, if you're, if you think alienation is bad and that we might try to overcome it, right? Like, mm-hmm. Th- mm-hmm. then you're going to think, Wow, any kind of social order that we construct is going to have to have alienation at the heart of it, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. you know, not some overcoming of alienation. So, I think Hegel's philosophy of right is in a way an attempt to say what would what does a society look like when you write alienation into it as a necessary component of it. And he That's has very, all these that, ways of thinking that yeah, that's very interesting to me because I've been um, part, um, I, I I taught. I mean, one of the things we're going to talk to. I, I, I taught um, a strange labor uh, recently, and so I've been thinking about some of these things. And one of the th- just very relevant to the last thing you said about like putting alienation at the center of like the you know thinking another kind of political project. Right. I've been thinking that we um, against that line that I just brought up, it's far easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capital. I think we imagine the end of capitalism quite a bit. And I think the problem is that it often looks like the end of the world, (laughs) which is, I, 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 and I, I think that's what the, that's, that's what the issue is. And I, and I, McCarthy can imagine the end of capitalism pretty well. Yeah. Right. Pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's exactly right. Like that, that we we imagine it as the end of the world. I mean, maybe that's what Jameson I mean, that's and what are saying. getting at. But yeah, but yeah, I think that's right. Like I think we do imagine the end of the world all the time now. I, I mean, the end but of I, capitalism I, as the end, the end of the world. Yeah, all the time. But it, but it's that I think th- where the, um, Hegel is necessary, or and, and on this thing is that like. Um, if the alienation is at the center of it, like we, like it's, 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 uh, like just the word, the idea is just suffused with so much, um, negative, not in a Hegelian, but like negative evaluative, um, content that it just, it seems like, well, like, well, who, who would want that? And why, why should, why should we have that? And, and, and why should that be the thing that we aspire to? Like the only thing, again, we can aspire to is just the, like the, the end, the end of all, the end of all things. And I, and I, I, I do. I wonder if at this like kind of minimal level, it matters just changing our, our orientation to an idea like alienation. And I and I wonder if part of the reason why um, the 
the end of, of capitalism looks often like the end of the world is because it leads to alienation. And our idea of alienation as being a, a bad thing comes from something like a strange labor. Right. And, 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 and I, I don't know. What, what do you, what, no, what do you I love that about? idea, Ryan. I love that. Like, uh, that we need to, sh- we need to shift. We need to adopt a Hegelian idea of alienation in order to then envision the, the political trajectory that we need to take vis-a-vis capitalism. I think that's, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think we're stuck in this. It's interesting because Marx himself, a ba- so the, so a strange labor is an essay that comes in the 1844 economic and philosophic manuscripts. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and Marx interestingly employs both of these terms from Hegel, both alienation or entäußerung and, and, and I think it's translated as estrangement or, or entfremdung. Mm-hmm. And, and he uses both terms. And for him, entäußerung is the process of that the labor, that, that, that capitalism subjects the laborer to. And then entfremdung mm-hmm. is more the state that results. So it's, they're, they're really related. And in fact, a lot of people think Marx uses them inter- interchangeably. So that, that's, this is a, a quarrel within Marxism, which is, Relatively uninteresting, probably like all internecine <laughs> quarrels. But um, well, but yeah. I, I think that I think that that um, that that's real. As you were saying, like I think that's where we get the negative connotation that mm-hmm. that it we're, and I think a lot of people even that have a very commonplace understanding of Marxism think this that the worker is alienated from mm-hmm. the product of their yes. labor, right? I think that's mm-hmm. a very common understanding of Marxism, and I think a lot of capitalists even think that. You know that that's part of what comes with capitalism. I think that um, that that essay, which um, is very readable, is not long, and I think that it's. Uh, I, I just you know a lot of the people. I, I just think a lot of this podcast is uh, is us. Um, well, I, I, well, I mean, we don't say this directly because I don't want to put an injunction on anybody. But like we're, we're talking about a lot of people who are more read about than read, and I think that this if. You don't know if like if you have capital on your desk and you're like, how the fuck am I ever even going to start that? Um, but you want to actually read like primary. T- I mean, strange labor is, very, I think, very good. I think that that um, that I mean, does that volume also have the 18th premiere of Louis Napoleon? No, it's separate. <laughs> no, but, but the 1844 okay. manuscripts are quite good. I think the economic yeah. and philosophic manuscripts. Some are a little drier because he a lot of times he's just writing quotations from British economists and that's a little boring. <laughs> but um, yeah. But but you know like the estranged labor, the power of money in bourgeois society. I think it's called is is excellent. That has the famous uh, quotation from Timon of Athens by by Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and and so about money and gold. So so there, there there's some there's some and 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 that that has the great line that the the capitalist is poor, but he can buy. Uh, something so he's so he can so he can buy someone so he's rich or the capitalist is ugly but he can buy an attractive spouse so he's rich mm-hmm. you know so he mm-hmm. so he's mm-hmm. he's attractive so so there there's some great lines in those those essays and i i think that you know the only danger i guess is that there that the the marks that thinks about and i think a lot of people really make like Althusser, for instance the break between the early Marx and the later Marx is is mm-hmm. utter. It's absolute because he thinks the early Marx is humanist because mm. he talks about alienation, and then 
alienation basically becomes, I think, commodity fetishism in the later months. Yeah. Right. I think yeah, that's. That I think that. Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense to think of that one, because and that's the first in the first chapter of Capital. Um, so well, let's just play. Let's play yeah. that out a little bit yeah. then, because yeah. I think I think um, in in a strange labor, it's like um, you know you the like the worker the worker creates the worker creates a commodity that's bigger and more important than the worker, and that is that becomes so your the actual work that you do is alienating, right? And the right. more the more that you do, the like the less value you have, right? And right. the more and, and the more value and this, the commodity has, more value the commodity has, right. and it it it's just it's so it's it's really you know I was thinking about this um, that like although does he use the term commodity in that essay I think he does uh, I will you know what I'll pull it up and okay. and and do a double check and try not to take uh, too uh, too long um, what are you going to say I'm sorry interrupt oh he does he absolutely does, he does. Okay. it's in like yeah, the, it's in, yeah, 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 yeah 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 on the basis of this is just the first paragraph on the basis of political economy itself in its own words we have shown that the worker sinks to the level of a commodity okay. and becomes indeed the most wretched of commodities okay. that the wretchedness of the worker is an inverse proportion to the power and magnitude of his production all right right so so it basically is that the worker loses itself in the commodity right like that's mm-hmm. the idea mm-hmm. yeah yeah um it's it's pretty fascinating i was thinking about is um are you teaching on zoom or are you just doing recordings i can't remember uh just recordings but i meet with students that are you meet with students a few students that are that are there's little groups that i meet with but got it okay because i just think this whole thing is just so like i just like i brought this (laughs) i was just teaching the other day when, when i was teaching this i just brought it up to the to the class that like like i'm working right now like shouting about socialism at my computer and it's but it's very like i don't get you know i don't get paid directly for that and i know that like this is an idea and college and university finances are just like bewildering right but i know that like students and i think a lot of lay people think that like it's the student the um the students pay the col like they pay our salaries right like i think that's that's like a a i think that's a common idea and it would be Almost nice if that was true. I remember one time. Well, one some of my, schools well, it is true. Some some schools it is true. There, this thing I got to tell you this Don't story you think it was so funny. Well, uh, I thought it, that was true, and then I was walking through here when I was hired, and I, I walked past this guy. So I'm not going to name him, but he's one of the people who knows where the money lines, uh-huh. like where everything is. And he was talking to two. Um, uh, to, to, he was talking with two people, and he said, "Hey, Ryan." He said, "These are people from," and it was some endowment. Uh-huh. And he said the this endowment pays fifty one point two percent of your salary or something like that, and I said wow, and then I and then I said what about the f- other forty nine point eight, and I don't think he meant it to come off this way, but he just goes hey look we gotta go, and he didn't <laughs> he just didn't answer the question at it's all. Probably it organized so, crime or something. But yeah, I, yeah, it was. Oh, but no, God, I so think f- that's there are a lot of schools where it's totally tuition driven that the that, yeah. that, you know, they're just yearly tuition keeps keeps the doors open and the people employed. So, yeah. but I think yeah. you're right. Like, like the, what's interesting is I think it's much easier to understand alienation in a mm-hmm. in, in like a factory work. Right. Like, you yeah. know, you make I make cars. I don't yeah. get to draw. I can't even afford to draw. I mean, that was one of Henry Ford's great yeah. innovations was that he made the Model T affordable for his 
employees, but they still were alien. They still you know had this mm-hmm. alienated relationship to it. So I think that that it's easier to understand in a non-university setting. Yeah, and I th- well, I think that the the the, um, the uh, advent of uh, direct deposit also increases to this. Yeah, because it's then because yes. th- th- this was my point is that like I'm I'm in front of students and I'm doing this and it's like is this the thing that I'm paid for? Because the money just arrives <laughs> right. later right. and it's like, do, am I paid for this? How much am I paid for this versus how much when I'm doing advising or how much I'm doing email or how much for when it's like committee and how much, and it's the same. It's at any, it's at anything like, you know, when I, when, when I was at Walmart, like was, was it stocking the shelves? Was a customer? Like, it's just, it's like, well, it's it was your check. labor time it's at Walmart. It's your labor time. And I think it's the, it's just more mystified at the university, but it's still your yeah. labor time. Right. Like that's well, the that's yeah. the Marxist explanation that you're you're. And this is why Marx thinks. And don't you think it's I always thought this was so weird that capitalism <laughs> doesn't pay typically for mm-hmm. what you produce. They just pay no, for the, the time. time. Yeah. You yeah. Don't you think that's so weird? Like and and and, and Marx's point is if they re- pay you for what you produce, they're really just translating the labor time into a certain number of products right like that it, yeah. I, I always thought wow that's such an amazing insight and I and it just really was mind-boggling to me like why doesn't why doesn't whatever like you and I guess it's because it's mass production and you know you can't you mm-hmm. can't just calculate what one per a single person is producing but it's still well, but that's a deci- that's a that's a big choice that that undergirds it right right like right like and the, I think yeah, it's yeah. I think it's because that labor time is the commodity right like it's the yeah. that's the it's it's by the, the really one of the, for Marx I think one of the fundamental gestures is the turning of concrete labor into yes. abstract labor, which makes mm-hmm. labor time into a commodity. And so that and I think for him that is entoisering, right? That is that's mm-hmm. the fundamental alienation that takes place under capitalism. The expression uh, "time is money," like mm-hmm. I mean, that's right. Like that's that's a that is an, an idea that is an invention that's not like a naturally occurring phrase th- like thought. Right, to, right. I had know, a friend to, to, to ex- existence. I know? had this friend in graduate school who who would work like he had to do a summer job. You know, he was and, and he his all of his coworkers always said another day another dollar whenever they were. Mm-hmm. And he, he yeah. was just like that just infuriated him because mm-hmm. it just like mm-hmm. so accepted their alienated. In this Marxist sense, conditions of, yeah. of, of labor, right? Like I just and, and allowed it to be imposed on their very very way of conceiving their own temporality. Yeah, it's well, it's because it um, well, what is it like to 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 I mean to commodify time? I mean, I, I think that that is the um, that's the gesture, right? That's the gesture, and yeah. I think that's much more even, especially when 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 Marx has talked about more more generally, or, or I mean, even he begin. He begins capital that way, talking about the commodity. But I mean, I I, I think that's like that could almost be like that should be the prologue. Uh, I, I wish was just in a sentence was capital commodified time. Period. Right. Do you understand this? If you understand this, then you keep reading. You, you but get I think to that's, skip to page a hundred. Otherwise, you got to read the rest of it. Right. I think it's one of those yeah. little choose your own adventure books because I think that's <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. Like yeah, and, yeah. and because this this turning of time into the the basic commodity form well and then like i mean i'm gonna go back to my walmart example yeah, for a yeah. second because then it was the like this is this is why i i think it's it's even not so simple even though it is hourly but then it's if you've been there longer your hour matters more right 
right? Regardless whether you physically do more or, you know, mentally or whatever it is, it's not if you do more, it's just have you been there long? So that's like, it's another way. This is like seniority, right? In, in hierarchy. It's another way that time is wrapped up into money yeah, and although, wrapped up in, into the commodity. Is yeah. that a victory of labor though? I wonder about that. Like, is that- It's interesting. Is seniority yeah. a victory of labor? I tend to think that it is. Like, I tend to think that if capital had its way, they would pay wages absolutely the same across no the board, regardless of seniority. And that, that making seniority count is a victory of, is, is one of the victories of labor. I, I so think is that that's good, right. Is that a, yeah. Do you think that's a good example of a victory within a system? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's a, it's a, you know, like the whole opposition between the Marxist party and the trade unionist. I mean, this is, it's a trade unionist victory, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not, a, it's not, you know, I don't know. At some point the one maybe becomes the other, but I think that, yeah, I think you're right. Like it is a clearly a victory within capitalism and, and maybe it, maybe ideologically it's a setback. I think you could, yeah, that's, maybe I make think that's, that argument. Yeah, right? I think that's maybe it. Yeah, because it because it, it 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 leans into the system that is the oppressive force. Right. But so it's like so it makes it so it makes a deal. So even though even though it's a no. So oh, but that's the no. But that's good. It's I yeah. Mean, that's, I think that's, it's that's probably nice good little, because like for instance, like I, I as I have more seniority at the university, I would like to not keep getting my pay raised. You know, like I would like to just freeze it at a certain level, and that's fine. But. This is I, actually true. People, Todd really liter- literally does this. Yeah, at, yeah, but so I would, anyway, but, yeah. but, but at some point, like I had to, I had to actually cut back on my teaching to get this done because they would, I would run afoul of the union. Yeah, that's right? right. Like the union would be <laughs> would be pissed at me for saying yeah. like I just I want. In fact, they just wouldn't let me do it. Like mm-hmm. we have a contract. You try to get, you try to make say, I don't want less, the union just would say, you can't do that because, so I think it is really a collective, a, a, a collectivist, like the whole notion of seniority seems to me like a collectivist victory against the forces of capital, which would rather, I think, pay everyone and even pay older mm-hmm. people less, right? Because they're well, less productive. Do you think this is a good example of Hegelian contradiction? Because at this, at the same time that this is, I think I think clear like clear victory for um, for labor, but it it also is a thing that like it calcifies the the yeah. system as such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great point. It's a great point, right? Like the, the labor. I mean, and, and just to until sorry yeah. to, to to underline that, like it further leg- legitimizes the idea that time is money, which right. is the, the like a, the great ideological capitalist victory. Right. So right. anyway, right, yeah. right, right, right. Great point. Great point. That the that even. It's a kind of Frankfurt School point almost, right? Like that even the <laughs> victories of labor end up cementing actually mm. the ruling capitalist ideology. I think that, I think in this case, mm-hmm. I don't think always, but I think in this no, no. case, that is true. That's interesting. So this, I mean, I think you can, I, I don't know. I, the, the, I think uh, the, the listener can tell, like, so we're talking, you know, alienation here and and, and it's in uh, its raw negative form where we're, we're, we're separated. You're, you're separated from, uh, your, your, your value as a, as a worker, as a laborer. Right. And it's been, uh, uh, reduced, it's been put into the commodity. And this is, um, this is Marx's point. Right. And, and it, yeah, do, yeah. I just think it's interesting no, no, that he doesn't yet have fully developed. He hasn't yet fully developed the, 
his labor theory of value when he writes Mm -hmm. about alienation. And yet Mm -hmm. that's really what he's talking about, right? That that Mm -hmm. labor has created the value of the commodity. And yet Mm -hmm. we miss seeing that the labor can't see that it's the source of that value under capitalism. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so really in, in a, in a, he has it already, the labor theory of, of value right there, right? Even though I don't think it's fully developed yet, right? Like, I think it's more in the Grundrisse, so more in the 1850s mm. that it yeah, fully, it's... you know, that, that, or at least the, the, the notion of surplus value, that what the labor, like that, that, so labor theory of value obviously exists since Adam Smith, but the mm-hmm. notion that what the worker adds is surplus value, I think that, waits till the Grundrisse, these notebooks that, that are written mm-hmm. in the late eighteen mid the late eighteen fifties and then then capital in eighteen sixty seven. So that I think that, that there is this like you know, kind of germ form of surplus value is what gives the commodity its value, but what I can't recognize as my own in the commodity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very interesting. And I, I think that um do you think that um uh, I was just checking in the um, in further in the um, the manuscripts of 1844. There's in the, the the meaning of human requirements where there is private property and under socialism that long long ass title. I'm not yeah. even going to say the, the whole rest of it. He um, says when the market is uh, what does he say here? When the market is very small, no person can have any encouragement to dedicate himself entirely to one enjo- one employment. I was going to say enjoyment, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, for want of the power to exchange all that surplus part of the the produce of his own labor which is over and above his own consumption for such parts actually i'm sorry he's quoting somebody here in this i don't know from from who but he but it's not like it's i just think it's it's really nice oh he's quoting i think he's quoting he must be quoting adam smith actually Hmm. um he's almost like it's it's really really nice i i think that like if you can follow along the thread right like how like how the idea gets developed that like just surplus value it seems um simple like i mean because we we live like we have this idea i mean it's been very long since he in in our lifetime since he came up with it but like it 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 required a lot of work right 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 to put to put that together yeah i mean because he's working with people like surplus part of the production and like and for him to then see that as value and then and to articulate it as such that that that's a that's a leap yeah it's amazing and i think it, it, it is interesting and I think this is what someone like Althusser, Louis Althusser, sells short. It's interesting that it's through alienation mm. that he comes to, ultimately, I think, the idea of surplus value, which means, so there's a certain amount of necessary labor, which is necessary for the capitalist to reproduce the situation of the production of labor, right? Mm-hmm. So like the, the production of the commodity so that you can you know, keep the factory's lights on, keep the worker paid and in eating and all this stuff. And then there's something in addition to that. And so Marx's point is that a fair exchange occurs for the necessary labor that the capital, that the worker does. But, mm-hmm. but the worker always gives this bonus to the capitalist. So, so yeah. we always think of the bonus as given by the capitalist to the worker, but Marx's point is no, the worker gives this bonus, which is surplus value for every hour that, the worker mm-hmm. works there's this surplus value given to the to the capitalist and then and which is not 
reimbursed, which can't be reimbursed for capitalism mm-hmm. to function. It, it's what generates profit ultimately. And so that idea, I think, that is alien. Like that's alienation, yeah. right? So the, it's yeah, interesting right, right. that he. It's through alienation that he comes to surplus value, even though the great Marxists typically want to reject the note. Like they they think seeing Marx talk about Marx in terms of alienation is to hum- make him into a humanist, and I humanist, want to avoid yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Well, that's interesting. I think this. Um, I think it makes it m- makes more sense for us to go to start here. Yeah. And then and then end with Lacan because um, Sartre it, like receives I would say both I want to say both traditions I think actually. that's right I, it's interesting because yeah. I think you're right like he kind of is synthesizing the word we both hate uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the the Marxist and the Hegelian tradition on alienation I think that's right yeah and I think that and I and I would also argue that like I'm existentialism is this. Is 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 how Sartre turns the humanism, I would say. Yeah, like I, th- I think it's it's, it's so. Well, so he even... wrote the famous. You know, he wrote this. Wrote he gave a talk in 1945, just as the war ended. This famous talk, existentialism is a humanism. Ah, there you go. So I did not he know really, that. he really, he 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 bought into that idea that it was a humanism, and then famously Heidegger writes a few years later, a response called letter on humanism, where he says, I am not a humanist. So he just totally (laughs) like he, he Heidegger once said, if I would have known what my thought was going to produce, meaning Sartre, I wouldn't have Mm. thought it like he was, he really, he really hated that result. So interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. It's it was a one way hatred because Sartre idolized Heidegger. Oh, that's, um, well, well, I mean, it's, start, I yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> but, yeah. It, it makes sense because his, his, his entire thought has its basis in, in what Heidegger does. So I think mm-hmm. that, that that makes sense. But but yeah, so his but so for him, alienation is both just to put it in the simplest term, it's both good and bad. Right. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> and it, well, I mean, I think it's um, you said this to me before we started that that Heidegger is not in this idea. You think? Right. Well, that's an interesting thing that that so for Heidegger. So Sartre thinks we're alienated because we exist with others. So it, 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 it's interesting because I think the best formulation of this is in No Exit, where he says "l'enfer c'est c'est l'autre," like like c'est les autres, right? Like the mm-hmm. hell is other people. Yeah, uh, right. Which is not a philosophical work, but or hell is other robots, <laughs> as someone might know. Sorry, oh, I don't know that. So, yeah, see, I'm trying to alienate you. That's yeah, you my just did. mini, mini sec- project in this. Yes. The second time you've alienated me. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but both, both, I think those were Brechtian Verfremdung's effects. I think. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, I always try to teach that word to students because I think it's such a great word, and I think mm. we do it to each other all the time, right? Like that yeah. kind of have that Verfremdung's effect on other people. Anyway, I think that that so his notion is we're alienated but into the other like the others like just to be around other people is to be alienated and i think just because you're like they're seeing you in a way that you like they're just taking you as an object make and alienating yeah. you mm-hmm. into an object and so he thinks that's just a that's for him this fundamental alienation that we undergo and it it feels violent like to be seen feels violent for sorry yeah no i think that i think that's um I mean, I think that's very, uh, relevant. Yeah. I think to like now, I think, um, especially in, a, you know, I, 
one thing, I mean, I, I, I want to couch this very, um, uh, very carefully, like one thing in the, the pandemic that is, um, I don't know, it's comforting to me is that I literally know where to stand when I'm someplace because I think I walk into a building right. and I, I don't know where to put myself. Like, right. e- like e- ever. But now and, they and tell a, you, right? Six feet you, away. Here's all the feet. markers on the floor saying here's where the to thing stand. on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, again, it'd be great if this didn't, it, it'd be much, the, the world would be a much better place if I was just uh, dealing with my spatial anxiety mm-hmm. and then, and there wasn't a, a, a pandemic, uh, whatever. But like, I see that on the ground. I'm like, I know where I am. This is, this is, <laughs> this is right. great. Right. And then I know, and I know who's flouting the rules. I'm like, that's four feet. I would. I don't know what this guy's doing because right. that's not six feet. And anyway, but but that's but that's about um, that's about alienation. Like you don't yeah. know where to put your. You don't have a proper place. I mean that that's yeah. going to be. I think really now. What's interesting for Sard is, so it, let's talk about Heidegger for one second. So Heidegger sure, sure, doesn't sure. believe in that original alienation because he thinks mm-hmm. we're originally what he calls being with others and he calls mm-hmm. that mit sign so which just means being with so so mm-hmm. that that notion is that we're that first we're fundamentally with others and mm-hmm. then the way in which that gets disrupted for heidegger is that we it's not that we we that others see us in the same way like like sort would say instead it's that we lose track of ourselves in what he calls das man or the they right like that mm-hmm. so that we lose ourselves and that he doesn't describe but it's interesting that he doesn't describe it as alienation but he does think mm. we lose ourselves in this figure of the they that is you know it, it, it it's a it's a loss but it's a, it, he doesn't he's really resists alienation and maybe it's because he thinks it's humanist but i also mm-hmm. think he thinks it's too Hegelian Marxist, right? Like I think he, I think for him that, that there's a fundamental rootedness or at homeness that Mm. we have basically, and that, which Hegel absolutely rejects, right? Like for, Mm. for Hegel, (laughs) we are who we are insofar as we're uprooted. Like that's that up, that alienating uprooting rootedness is subjectivity. Like that's so, so the, the notion of, Oh, I just want to find my way back home. Yeah. Like traffic, right? Like I, I don't, mm-hmm. isn't that the song? I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, that Hegel would think that's terrible, right? Like don't mm-hmm. find your way back home. That's, there's nothing there. Cause it's when you, you can never go home again. You can't yeah, go home again. Right. So it's, it's yeah, more the, yeah. the Tom's wolf, right? Like it's more when mm-hmm. you're alienated, that's when you find yourself. And for Hegel, and I think for Heidegger, no, you can go home again. And home is the 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 Schwarzwald, like the the Black Forest, right? Like the you're hmm. you you the home is home is Nazi Germany, right? Like that's hmm. what I don't think that it's a coincidence that hmm. this the one who didn't believe in alienation was a Nazi, and the one an- <laughs> Sartre who thought alienation was a necessary process that ultimately led to our emancipation was a leftist. I don't think that's mm. an accident. Like, I think that there's a real way in which Sartre is in touch with this Hegelian thread of yeah. the emancipatory quality of alienation. And that's just totally alien to Heidegger's way of thinking. This is really in- interesting. I don't know why I hadn't thought about this before, but in what you were saying about um, Heidegger and, and this notion of home made me think like is uncanny 
Freud's theory of, of, of alienation. I think that's right. That, yeah. 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 And is that, and, and he makes it much, it's really, um, I think I certainly forgot this. I, I, I'm not sure this is always talked about this way, but he makes it very clear in the first paragraph that this is, that he's in, in, in uh, what he's doing is a theory of aesthetics. Like right. he just says that, which right. I think I, I forgot. I don't know that everybody always thinks about it that way, but, he, but, um, but I think it's, it's, I don't know. It's more than that. I think it's that. I think that's, it's certainly more, I think that's a, it's an, it's an, an existential theory. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think Sartre, Sartre would, would, would agree on that point, but it's, it's definitely like it has, it has this, uh, this dimension of, um, a primary experience, like a primary, right. um, yeah. That like alienation that, I, that, is primary, right? Like that's yeah. the idea, right? I think that that, and I think that is what existentialism has in common with Hegel on the basic level. Hmm. Exis, Non-Heideggerian, Heidegger hates the word existentialism, so it's I, to say non-Heidegger, Heideggerian existentialism is a tautology. But, but <laughs> I, I do think so. It, this so the so even Camus, who obviously he and Sartre ended up hating each other, but Merleau-Ponty, <laughs> de Beauvoir, they all have the same feeling about alienation. That alienation is necessary and liberating, even though. They're not as positive about it as Hegel, right? Because they do right. see it as they 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 see it. They they do think we have to do something with it. Whereas Hegel thinks yeah. just embrace your alienation, like that's yeah. No, that's do. a yeah. that's a very important point because especially especially in I think this is more pronounced in critique of dialectical reason that the 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 alienation effect of specifically capital like that needs to be thrown off, right? Right. Like, like we, we get, we get separated. We have only, um, we have superficial connection like, like that, like, and, 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 and we're, we're, we're alienated from each other. And, and it's only in where alienation, I think in that, in that work, it's only important because you need to be able to recognize it to then move on from it. Right. And the, I, to, I, I to, think, yeah. but, but even in, let's take Camus, right? Like even in, mm -hmm in uh, the rebel lum revolte like even in that book like it's about which is a, a, a panegyric to the act of rebellion which would seem like oh that's about mm. alien about embracing alienation but it's not like that's yeah. really how you overcome your alienation for him mm. and even mm -hmm. even myth of sisyphus which again see, like it it ends with you have to one must imagine sisyphus happy right like yeah. But so you would think like that's embraced your alienation, but it's not. It's about yeah. like moving to this other thing where you're beyond that alienation. So I think that they it's interesting because, you know, Camus critique of, of Kierkegaard is Kierkegaard. The problem is he wants to be healed, you know, and then mm. and, and I think that starts too. like anybody that's religious. They want to be. But those the existentialists want to be healed, too. Right. Like they cannot. Yeah make that Hegelian gesture of embracing alienation as fundamental, like that's constitutive, stay in your alienation. Like that's the Hegelian idea. And I think that, that it's a very, it seems like it's a very difficult position to sustain theoretically. I love the, um, why theory rewrite of the, uh, popular phrase stay in your lane stay in <laughs> stay in your stay in your stay alienation, in your alienation. Uh, yeah that's very yeah. very nice yeah. um i think so like so this is the i mean um i want to bring lacan into this um right now but it, it, it but even he were me i don't know necessarily if i don't know he might maybe he's closer to to, to hegel even though he thinks 
he's not. I mean, he says this at the end of that lecture. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, it, point, right? Well, we should yeah. talk about that because that is yeah. interesting. That's in Seminar 11. Seminar 11, yeah. which is interesting because it's the only place where Lacan talks about alienation. So, but it comes after. I want to. I think this is really okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just to continue to make the the, the tie to start this. I mean, eleven come, <laughs> eleven comes after ten. Maybe big news for folks. No, what I mean by this is that the <laughs> the uh, tenth seminar, which titled in English as anxiety, but sometimes is not titled as anxiety. It is right. titled as what anguish. Time? Anguish. Why? <laughs> well, because the the jur the sorry the the French word angoisse can be translated as anxiety or as anguish, but here's, I think, what you're getting at. Yes. In mm. being a nothingness, yes. it's translated as anguish. So, anguish. And it is the same word. Anguas yes. is the same word. So, so uh, there, is a, there, is, there is warrant for mm-hmm. translating it as anguish. Although yeah, I, think I think Lacan Colette means... Solaire is the great translator, or she she does a, a good reading on that seminar, but it comes from that position. I'm sorry. I know, I know. No, go ahead. Say, yeah. say, uh, oh, no, no, just that. Yeah, Solaire's uh, Lacanian affects is a, I came out several, uh, a few years ago, yeah. five, six years ago. Yeah. And uh, a, lot, a lot, it's a sustained... It's a really good book, a, I think. Yeah, I think so too. It's a sustained reading of 10, and but it, it takes, I think, crucial to the reading is reading it as anguish and not anxiety. Like it's absolutely, absolutely crucial to read it that way. Yeah. So fall. So her position would be that being nothingness was correctly translated. I think so. That's interesting. Cause I, 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 I think that being nothingness is one of the few books that I've read in its original language where I gained nothing from reading in its original language. (laughs) You know, like that, that speaks, I think really well of, it's Hazel Barnes who translated. I think it's the only thing she translated a few other wow. Sartre things. But I mean, it, that's a really that's very rare, isn't it? Like you that's just, hard. yeah, yeah. So I think that that's. But but I mean, I, I Sartre's a great writer in French. So and mm. that's. But it, it it reads well in English too. So it's not like. Have you ever read the Marie Baroff uh, translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight? No, I have not. No. It's incredible because in English, what she's able to do is keep the alliterative verse in the original. Wow. Like the words are different, but, or, well, no, the words, are, it's just, it's incredible. I don't know how long it took her to do it, but it's absolutely incredible to keep the, the, the alliterative in English, but to have the meaning from the original, which idiosyncratic kind of uh, middle English because it was Northern. Wow. It's just it's like, amazing. yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But usually like, Hegel, you always gain something because it's just it's just so the German is so complex. Heidegger, it's it's almost unreadable in translation. Um, but but and Lacan, I mean, we've documented well. the terrible translations, although some are better. But again, like his use of French is so idiosyncratic sometimes that mm. you, you kind of have to or it helps you gain something. Well, I mean, we're even talking about it right now because I mean, what you right. do with that word, right. like, like I, I, I buy, like I, I think, um, I think anxiety makes it makes more sense to me. But you like um, Solaire's point about that? I think I like. Well, yeah, yeah. I think I like. I think I mean, I like that book, and I, I, I like her point. But I think I. I don't, I don't think anxiety is an improper way to, to talk about, especially, I mean, he makes it very clear in the beginning that like what he's like the, the gen, just very quick thing on 10, which we'll probably get to as a seminar altogether in like what, like two years, two, three, probably 10, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, but I, he, I mean, he does begin that with saying that he's picking up, um, from, 
the point that Freud makes in what is it? Symptoms, inhibitions, anxiety, like right, right. he, and his specific thing is that anxiety has no object. That's what Freud right. says. And then Lacan is pushing against that. And then the object, it, it kind of the anxiety is of, not without an object, right? Exactly. Yeah, anxiety yeah. is not without an object. And then it's, and it's object. And I think if you make that anguish, then I don't think that connection to Freud makes as much sense. Yeah, it does. Because then it's right. like, right. so that was Freud, my, the, rule, yeah. the word Freud's using, which is a word that, that both French and English have taken over is angst, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that that, that that word angst, we don't need to, tra- it's funny that we don't need to translate it, right? Yeah. No, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't that's know why that is. Because we, mm. we translate angoise, right? Like we, we don't, we don't feel like. That's, don't feel the need. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Angst. Yeah. I guess it just communicated to people in some way. That's angsty. Angst. And so it's people angsty. say today, that's, that's angsty. People do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah angsty. Uh, uh, which is maybe I, I a blame, way of avoiding the angst, I I, I would say. but uh, Maybe. Yeah. I blame grunge, grunge rock or credit. I don't know, depending on which way you go. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the, yeah. I don't know. Does grunge um, rock get credit for it? Should it get credit for anything? I don't know. Should it get credit? Um, I don't know. We're not doing a grunge rock episode. <laughs> We're not doing a grunge episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Leave that, leave, leave it for another time. Yeah. Um, so with in uh, seminar 11, where he talks specifically. So anyway, the, the connection just to, to draw it back yeah. is another connection to, um, to Sartre. So the, pr- the prior seminar 10 is the anxiety seminar or anguish if, um, if you prefer the, the translation, but like either the, the reason to prefer that translation, I think would be to put it in conversation with Sartre. And um, that's a dimension that we're like literally doing in this podcast. So I, I think, I kind of want to maintain that, but again, the word we're using is we're not looking at angst or 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 uh, say say it again, anguas. Okay, Um, we're talking about alienation. So it's in. There's a specific lecture in the. uh, It's in the. It's in the 200s or the beginning of two. uh, In the English Uh, translation, right? In the English translation, Mm -hmm. yeah, two or three, and. Lacan's take, and we're just going to give it in a sentence. Uh, he, there are two steps, right? And uh, alienation is a little bit like uh, Sartre, where it's a good and and a bad thing, right? It's, but where where it's a step, but I think maybe more like Hegel is this the this condition of uh, of freedom, but he he needs another word to get there. Yeah. So. Well, it's There's also interesting that for him it's based in language. Then I don't think that's there in because for Sartre it's other people, right? It's not necessarily yeah, that's language. A good point. And for Hegel, I don't think he's just pre-linguistic, so he doesn't have a theory of language. So I think that that is the original thing that we're alienated into the signifier, right? Like that yeah, is we, that's the original step. Yeah, I mean he does, and he, and and that's an important dimension to maintain because I mean it's the beginning of that of the lecture. I mean I have it right in front of me. Uh, he says. I mean, he said this is the first line of that. Uh, if psychoanalysis is to be constituted as the science of the unconscious, one must set out from the notion that the unconscious is structured like a language. So he's saying that here um, as well. So the, this, like the the note, the alienation and signification are. Yeah. I think you're right. They're tied together in a way that I don't think they are in any of the any other of the other people. Although, right. although I, I think you can make the argument maybe for Marx if the oh interesting the Why? value of the no, commodity. I don't think so. Why? Well, I was just going to say, like, if you think about, like, the commodity value as being the representing the subject for another. Okay, but, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But but it's not a base, a fundamental alienation into the signifier for Marx. No, no, right? no, no. That's no, what no, I meant. No, That's no. why I was so. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, no, 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 it's fine. Yeah. I, th- I think just just that um, I think for w- where it, where the two are similar is that when Marx is talking about alienation and he's obviously talking about economy and capitalism, he's talking about a chain. Yep. Yeah, that's not, right. You're right. Like yeah, capitalism, yeah. I think that's a great point that capitalism actually has the structure of the signifying chain for Marx. Yeah, right. I think, I think that's right. You know, he, the, just, the I mean, person, he just wouldn't say that, but yeah. Right, right. The person who made, uh, Jean-Joseph Gu, makes this point in a book called Symbolic Economies. No, oh, nice. Yeah, and it's basically, yeah. uh, but it, he's basically making a critique of psychoanalysis for, for like <laughs> mirroring the structure of capitalism. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I, but see, it, okay, but I, I think if you actually, well, of course, if someone's making that argument, they're they're not, they're not buying into what Lacan is selling to put it in a capitalist metaphor. Right. But if you, if you do, if you buy into this symbolic and, and you, you, you see this idea of, of signification, then it's the other way around. It's not that psychoanalysis is, right. is, is the, the structure of capital. It's that like the structure of capital, maybe why it feels so natural is that it has the structure of the symbolic right. Right. to it. Right. Right. And someone anyway. could write a shitty book on that questions someone could (laughs) someone could um alienation in a sentence is that's the uh recognition of the lack in in the subject right in the self right and then lacan has a second word separation right and so separation is the and it, it is really interesting that he doesn't return to this uh um this dyad or or no isn't it fascinating i mean this is one of it's it's interesting because it's the opposite of the Marx case, right? Like so, yeah. Marx talks about alienation only one play, only in the early eighteen forty four manuscripts. Never returns right. them, and Marxists kind of like hide, tend to mm-hmm. make that not part of their way of thinking about Marx. But mm-hmm. people that follow Lacan, they love to talk about alienation and separation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's yeah. like a major thing. I mean, Slavoj talks about it. Soler mm-hmm. talks about it. Jacqueline Miller. Talk, I mean, like every, all of the, everybody talks about it. Rick Boothby talks about it, you know, mm-hmm. Molly Rothenberg se- talks about her. It's like everybody does. <laughs> and separation to be, to be clear again, to put it in a, in this, if yeah. what alienation, right. Recognition of lack in the self. And then separation is recognition of lack in, in the, the other. other. Right. And that's, that's huge. That's, right. That's big. And it's a big thing in this seminar because it's also where uh, Lacan spends some time talking about um, analysis as this process of um, coming to the understanding that the analyst is not the subject supposed to know. Exactly. As in not occupying um, a, a position of, of mastery over the uh, over the analyzant. Right, um, right. So that, so recognizing the, yeah, the lack in the other. The lack in the other, right. This, right. I do, there's yeah. a, like, it's Slavoj's famous joke, right? I mean, he, I don't know who he stole it from, but somebody, that a patient mm-hmm. goes into an analyst thinking that he's a kernel of corn. And then the analysis goes on and the, finally the, the patient becomes convinced he's a, a man and not a kernel of corn. Then he goes out, leaves the office, then comes running back the next day and, and terrified. And he said, I saw, I ran into a chicken and I was afraid he was going to eat me. And the analyst is like, look, you know, you're not a kernel of corn. And the, the patient goes, yeah, but does the chicken know? Right. And so that's the, <laughs> that's the point is he didn't, he achieved, yeah. a, he recognizes alienation, but yes. he didn't grasp his separation. So he still thought mm-hmm. the other really existed. That is, there was really a chicken out there ready to eat him. 
So I think, and that, this, yeah, go ahead. I, I want to go back. I'm going to, I'm indict myself on this one. This is, this is, this is my thing with not knowing where to stand. Who, no one knows where to stand. No one knows where to stand, <laughs> Ryan. That's right. That's right. There's no place to stand. There's right. no place to stand. Right. Right. <laughs> but right. when you, but I invest, I, there must be a subject supposed to know. Surely the person who runs the store, you know, they, or, or corporate knows where you're supposed to stand. Right. They don't, no one cares. Whoever thinks about that. No, I People, know. You know, I know. Yeah. That's right. That's a really good. Yeah. So you had, you had achieved alienation, but not yes. separation in that. Not instance. separation. Yeah. That's yes. pretty great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. It's a perfect example of it. I mean, it's as, as good as the chicken example, I think, because, <laughs> and I think you're right, like the lines on the floor function as a way to hide mm. our, they, they, they try to convince us that the big other really exists, right? Like somebody's yes. got this plague yeah. under control and can yep. apportion out the places where we need to stand and mm-hmm. it's going to be fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that that's the uh, the important thing that that Lacan is getting at. And I and I and I and I think that like you can see again how like I, I don't know, I think there are a lot of insights in in psychoanalysis that are um, if you don't pay enough fidelity to them, they can just seem like really simple and stupid and, yeah. and easy. But like that's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to like, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, the big other does not exist. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Cause he said, you know, but like really though, like, like to, to, and, and, and even just to understand when, you know, like I'm, I'm just talking about it now. Like I don't under, like when I'm out and, you know, now or, 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 or before the pandemic and I was like, I don't know where to be, where am I supposed to put myself? And I, and I'd like do like a mental triangulation map of like, where's that person in relation? Like, should I be over there? Like I'm at no point, like I, like we, we talk about this, we've been doing this podcast for like three years now. And like, it's hard in that moment for me to be like, wait, no one knows where to stand. Right. There is no subject to right. know. But, it's but really, really difficult. It's hard. And, and, and the, the problem is, with, of course, with that statement is that if you have to say the big other doesn't exist, doesn't the big other have to kind of be something in order not yeah. to exist? Right. Like, I yeah, mean, not yeah, to be yeah. a, a yeah. kind of Jesuit about it, but I think that that I think that that point you have to recognize that in some sense, the big mm-hmm. other does exist in order then to even be able to recognize its non-existence. Right. Yeah. Of it's course. funny because Rick Boothby has an interesting formulation. He says, no, Lacan was wrong. What he meant to say was the big other doesn't know. And I, yeah, I, th- I think like, that's pretty I good. Like that. I think it's pretty that's good. And I, I, I think that's a, like a really and, and he he's derived from good. that this notion of the unknowing God that we need to conceive of God as fundamentally unknowing. And then and then mm. it's like then then you're it's a kind of emancipatory notion of God. So I think that that, I think that that's a pretty good way to adjust that. But, and I think that actually Mm. is more conducive to separation than this mantra, the big other doesn't exist to say the big other doesn't know. I think actually that's more tied to the gesture of, of, of separation that Lacan is, it's, it's just interesting to me too, that he doesn't come back to this, these, these two formulas, right? Like he just, just I mean, to bring that, don't you think that that brings us back to, I I feel like that brings us back to Hegel. I mean, I think you can see how emancipatory that is. The big other doesn't know. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's, that's the, that's the Hegelian. It's the Hegelian uh, point. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Of the, of of the emancipation and alienation. The big other doesn't know. Right. Like, like, yeah, that's pretty nice. Right. Because you still, because of course, like the absolute rejection of the big other. And I think this is the problem really with the, 
where Lacan's thought goes, it's mm-hmm. it's basically psychotic, right? Yeah, like yeah. like the mm-hmm. big other. It's not just this social authority that tells us where to stand in the in the store. It's also the the like the, the social glue, right? Yeah. Like that's and 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 the point is not. I think the point is actually how can you have one without the other? So I think there's this whole series of thinkers in the 20th century, like Heidegger criticizing the they or Das Mann, uh, mm-hmm. Sartre criticizing bad faith, Lacan criticizing, you know, this, the, the notion that the other exists. All of mm-hmm. them are, are they're, they're, I think they rightfully think that there's, you know, we need to emancipate ourselves from this conformist bent of, of the other, right? But they, what they, they miss is this other side, this, I don't know for lack of a better word, like this this public mm-hmm. constitutive side of the other. And and I think you have to have both. And I think that's really the genius of Hegel, that he sees the way mm-hmm. in which that we're t- we're together in our like that's we're together in our alienation, right? Like that's for yeah. him. Like like whereas Sartre sees this as hell as other people, Hegel thinks like, no, that's like in a way, that's the reign of the Holy Spirit when we're mm. like we're as these alienated beings together. That's and that, that's why I think he would have obviously wouldn't want the people to die. But in a way, he would love the pandemic and the notion of social distancing. You know, Agamben hates that. George Agamben hates that phrase, social distancing, mm-hmm. because he thinks social means coming close, getting proximate. Right. But Hegel, I think so rightfully would say, no, 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 that's exactly what social is that the, it's the it's this knowing how to like have this distance from the other yeah the 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 alienation alienated together i mean just the my my zoom classes i think that that's just like the, all the squares yeah it's yeah. like you like, i just think it, it it's if you i i don't know to me that's that that is the that's the best way to understand that like it's it's the everyone every, it's it's easy and i think most available to to think it's like well we're all we're all separated and it's like okay let, and I'm, I'm just using the word well i'm gonna okay let's i think that's what most people say like that's like more common f- uh, way of saying it yeah we're all separated from yeah. each other yeah. um but just to maintain consistency with the terms we're talking about like we're all alienated like from each other and then i think it's like okay let's circle the word all and not alienated in that sentence and I think that's the the Hegelian right, right, difference, right, right, yeah. Right. Um, that's really, it's interesting, and it um, so even Lacan yeah. kind of doesn't get it, right? Like he can't get to that mm-hmm. point. I don't. Think. Well, I wanted to. So I wanted to run this by you. Do you think that? Because uh, I was just thinking about this as you were explaining that, like the idea that the big other does not exist. Do you think that's a that's a flight from contradiction? Wow. I know that's a good question. Uh, I do. Yeah, yeah, of, I do. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. For, I, for the reason you're suggesting, right, that that you're not really recognizing your simultaneous simultaneous dependence yeah. on and then independence from the big other. Right. That's the yeah. isn't that the, for Hegel, the basic contradiction of subjectivity. Right. Like this, mm-hmm. this, this structure gives birth to you. But then mm-hmm. in order to be free, you have to emancipate yourself from it. So yeah. I think that's for him really the the basic contradiction of subjectivity. And I, mm. I, you know, it's interesting because 
I think that's what like in the master slave dialectic, that's what mastery refuses to do, right? Like it refuses mm-hmm. to accept any initial dependence. Mm-hmm. And and that's what and that's but Hegel thinks that's constitutive. It's necessary. That initial alienation is the thing that makes you who you are. So if you're gonna not get that, then you don't get the other thing either. Nice pun, by the way. The other thing. The other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's um, I think that's pretty good. I think I'm content to um, to um, punctuate the session on that. That sounds on, good. On that bit that of sounds... bit of knowledge. Okay, good. Uh, I think that I I do have a, a I have a I was thinking of a lesson for today. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think the lesson is this, Ryan. I think it's yeah. watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers because I think <laughs> doesn't Invasion okay. of the Body Snatchers in in I think at least its first two iterations. I the later ones I don't know. But at least in its first two, so in 56 and 78, I think it really, maybe most in 78, it really shows the dangers of overcoming alienation, right? Mm. Like those are societies where we've actually <laughs> overcome alienation and, oh my God, let's not live there. So That's fantastic. <laughs> I All like right. that. It's a good lesson. Okay. <laughs> that's my lesson. All right. Over and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd.